0: Welcome to The Kaleidoscope, healthcare in a diverse America, from molecule to market, with your host, Sheila Thorne. Each episode highlights healthcare leaders and patients of color to discuss culturally, linguistically appropriate strategies and services. You can find this show on all major platforms, including YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on our website, SheilaThorne.com. Now, here's the host of The Kaleidoscope, Sheila Thorne.
1: Hello, and welcome to our episode honoring and focusing on National Diabetes Awareness Month. You know, there's a disease, state, or a condition that's expressed in every single month of the year. And this month, we are focused on diabetes, type 2 diabetes in particular. One of the pleasures and joys I have had over the 27 years I've been working in the multicultural health space for healthcare organizations is meeting incredible people who are doing extraordinary things that are focused on communities of color. And this show is, is uh, is going to target, is going to talk about one of those clear change agents and pioneers in healthcare. But first, why are we focused on diabetes? Clearly, in terms of communities of color, we are disproportionately impacted by type 2 diabetes. We're actually still in Native American Heritage Month, and I'll start with that group in terms of the statistics. American Indians and Alaska Natives have have a greater chance of having diabetes than any other U.S. racial group. But we don't hear much about that. When we look at the populations that we want to reach, not many organizations, not many pharmaceutical companies have looked at our Native American brothers and sisters. Fortunately, the Indian Health Service or IHS has done a tremendous amount of work in raising awareness in screening and preventing type two diabetes among American Indians. In fact, uh, type two diabetes is the highest in, in that group itself. And IHS an Indian Health Service has done a great deal of work in reducing those numbers, especially among children. The theme for this National Diabetes Awareness Month is take charge of tomorrow, preventing diabetes uh, and health and health problems that are associated with it. But let's take a look at our Asian Asian American brothers and sisters. Looks can be deceiving because although body weight is closely connected to type 2 diabetes, you may not think of Asian Americans as having an obesity problem, but that does exist. Visceral fat that's around the stomach replaces muscle and not many asian and asian americans are tested and screened for diabetes so there's another opportunity to reach out to this group even though you may not think they would be susceptible to this disease but now let's take a look at the hispanic population clearly hispanic latinos make up a very diverse group cubans mexicans puerto ricans south and central americans and other cultures Each has its own history and traditions, but they all are more likely to have type 2 diabetes, 12% than white people. Another opportunity, more diversity within groups than between. And then finally, people of African heritage. In 2019, Blacks were twice as likely as whites to die from diabetes. In 2019, Blacks were two and a half times more likely to be hospitalized with diabetes and associated long-term complications than whites. And finally, Blacks were 3.2 times more likely to be diagnosed with end-stage renal disease as compared to Hispanic whites. We've seen this now through every group, even if they're middle class and insured. So lifestyle plays a significant factor in your changing your Uh, your your vulnerability to getting type two diabetes. So again, as I say with every episode, these statistics are unacceptable. We have to change them. And it's only in our collective wisdom with pharmaceutical companies, with healthcare organizations, with community-based organizations, can we reach these groups. So look around your city, your neighborhood, your region. Are these populations there? Is there an opportunity to reach out? We hear this talk about striving for health equity, You can't strive for health equity without education. So on that note, I wanna bring my guest in for you to meet and hear about the amazing work that she has done in the community in the DC, Virginia, Maryland area. Welcome Ruth to the Kaleidoscope.
2: Thank you, thank you so much.
1: I'd like to share a little bit about Ruth Perot, because I think once you hear her background, you'll understand why she's still out there fighting and committing herself to improve the quality of life of all Americans with a specific focus on type 2 diabetes. Over 20 years, I've attended the Congressional Black Caucus Health Brain Trust, uh, founded by uh, the late Congressman Louis Stokes. He had 15 terms in Congress and really was a champion for health. I mentioned that because I went down to uh, attend the sessions of the Health Brain Trust and I talked to some journalist friends. I said, who should I be be talking to? Where should I be going during this Congressional Black Caucus Health Brain Trust? Top of the list for them is, you need to talk to this woman, Ruth Perot. She's (laughs) onto something. She is bringing together some extraordinary people to see whether we can focus on improving the quality of life of all Americans, especially those of African descent. But here's Ruth's background. A veteran of the civil rights movement in her early professional career, she served as a coordinator of the Cleveland chapter of the Congress of Racial Equality and served as a member of CORE's National Action Council. She was a member of the National CORE staff and served as an educational specialist and assistant to the late James Farmer. Among her many consultant assignments, she served as a consultant to Dr. Dorothy Height, the late Dr. Dorothy Height, another civil rights icon, President of the National Council of Negro Women and the National Medical Association, and a convener of the Summit Health Coalition, which eventually became Summit Health Institute for Research and Education. From 2006 through the present, Shire has been led by Ruth Perot as co founder and executive director, and we'll talk more about Shire in a moment. She's been out there focusing on combating childhood obesity promoting wellness in the District of Columbia with support from Kaiser Permanente of the Mid-Atlantic States, the Office of Minority Health, HHS, D.C. Department of Health, Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, ConAgra Foundation, Kellogg Foundation, the California Endowment, AmeriHealth Caritas D.C., and other public and private partners. Well, I took that journalist's advice and I called Ruth Perot when I got (laughs) into D.C. We were on the phone for about two hours. It was clear (laughs) to me that she was somebody who was going to be figuring prominently in the first attempt at health care reform, and she hasn't stopped. Many a night I've spent on the phone in her home with a glass of wine talking about health care disparities and what we could do to stop them. So it is my honor and my pleasure to introduce all of you to my dear friend, my colleague, my big sister, my mentor, Ruth <laughs> T. Perot. <Perreault. laughs> Again, welcome, Ruth.
2: Thank you so very much.
1: Well, tell us about Shire, Ruth. Uh, how did it come to be? What is it all about? And and what is your mission and vision?
2: Be glad to. Um, we started in 1997, and we had a very clear purpose then, and it's been our guiding light ever since. That purpose, well, actually there are two purposes. One was to work to eliminate health disparities experienced by racial and ethnic groups, and two, to promote wellness among African Americans and people of color so that we could achieve optimal health and well-being. So those have been the things that have guided us ever since. Now, In our earlier days, and the first 10 years or so, we did a lot of work at the national level. Uh, we focused on, for example, making sure we collected data, disaggregated data for racial and ethnic groups. We focused on informed consent. We focused on making sure that our communities benefited from health information technology. And one of the things that really stands out in those early years was the creation of Out of Many One, Mm. which brought together the five major racial and ethnic groups around issues such as diabetes, uh, as well as institutional racism, the importance of data and so on. Uh, Now, that was our work at the national level. And we still do work at the national level, but it became so very clear we're, we're based in Washington, D.C., Yes, and we knew, oh, we looked around and said, now, wait a minute, we're doing all these things at the national level, but right here in our own backyard, we have African-Americans experiencing diabetes at two or three or four times the rates that a white's in the, in the Washington, D.C. area. And we looked around and we said, oh, my goodness, it, in Ward 8, there are 42% of folks, adults have hypertension. We better start as in the words of Booker T. Washington, casting our buckets where we are. Yes, yes, yes. And so we began to focus on the, the issues that really affected our work in terms of, of health disparities and wellness promotions right here in our own community. Um, we realized, you know, we had done the, we have seen the research. NIH had a fabulous study that made it very clear that lifestyle changes could make a huge difference, not only in reducing uh, diabetes levels, but also actually potentially reversing them. Uh, And they were very simple. The formula was pretty simple. It was make sure people are eating properly, Exercising, losing weight, not even a whole lot of weight necessary. And with the result of those that study indicating, in fact, the results were so profound, the study got, uh, I think it ended earlier than planned because they got such great results. So I said, Well, look, if this is the formula for dealing with diabetes and we have a diabetes problem in our community, then we need to bring that formula home and find ways to get that information out. Uh, to our brothers and sisters in this city that were experiencing diabetes at such epidemic levels.
1: Well, Ruth, after you and I spoke for those two hours on the phone, you talked about a meeting that was going to be held at the National Medical Association, headed up by the late Dr. Richard Butcher, who was president of the NMA at that time. And you told me that that was an invitation-only meeting. We were coming together, heads of national black organizations to come to terms with the first attempt at healthcare reform under the Clinton administration and why we wanted to have a seat at the table. Well, I changed my travel plans. I (laughs) I inserted myself in that meeting. You said, well, wait a minute, I gotta ask Dr. Bush if you can come. And you you did invite me. I came, I walked into a room with the heads of every prominent national black organization there. I got on the phone and I changed my plans to go back to New York and I stayed in the room. (laughs) And you not only had a group of leaders, but you had legislative council. You had people that were gonna go on the hill and make sure we had a seat at the table. That was profound for me. That was a turning point for me. And Mm -hmm. I heard all of you having the same passion and enthusiasm for this. Okay, so now you focused on uh, diabetes and you created something called the wellness circles. What are they?
2: Well, you know, this is uh, this is the vehicle by which we actually engage our brothers and sisters to come to the table to find out how to take charge of their health, mm-hmm. and particularly diabetes. And actually, the program uh, come bringing people together for several sessions, either virtual or in person, um, it has three major components that make it successful. One is providing the tools so that individuals really do understand what wellness requires and what it's all about. So those tools are very straightforward and very simple. First, we bring in a medical provider who talks about the disease, the condition. I don't like to say the word disease. Yes, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. The condition, what it is, how you get it, what to do about it, what to, how to manage it. And we make sure that that health provider speaks in terms that are well understood, in language that people can really grasp, they're not going to talk over their heads. And there's a lot of dialogue and interaction around that presentation. Then the next presentation, we talk about healthy eating, all the ways, not only healthy eating but healthy eating portions, mm-hmm. and, and reading labels, and getting the folk, giving folks the tools they need to figure out how to eat wisely and well. The third piece that we always include is stress management. Ah. We bring in someone who helps with deep breathing, meditation, yoga, finding ways to you know get that stress under control. Mm-hmm. The fourth component is having a pharmacist talk about medications. Uh huh. We do talk about medications. We, we we understand the importance of medications in controlling diabetes, but also how important it is to know the after effects, the side effects, yes. and the importance of taking the medications in the right way. And very very important is fitness. We have a fitness episode in every session when people come in Tai Chi, chair yoga, chair exercise, aerobics. All of that is part of just a part of giving folks the tools they need to really take charge of their health. Now, that's the wellness part of the concept. Okay, The circle part is I think the really, really key to success because we understand you, know, you I know you know about the Surgeon General's report issued in May, yes. talking about the public health effects of loneliness and yes. isolation. Well we know that when people come together, we do better when we do it together. Yes. There's no question about it. And so we provide a, we bring people together. We provide a vehicle for them to talk about what's going on in their lives, uh, getting encouragement sharing their stories, uh, and very, very important, we celebrate their success. Sharing
1: stories and celebration
2: is, is, is intrinsic to the African-American culture. It's, it's part of our our culture, our traditions, yes. coming together, sharing, being able to talk to each other, creating a climate of trust. There you go, that's the key word here. Well,
1: where do you find these people, Ruth? How did they find you? How do they come to be a part of the circle?
2: Well, we understand very important that it is when whoever does the reaching is the one who's going to be the the, the effective vehicle for communication. So we we bring in community residents, many of whom have already been through a wellness circle Uh to do our to do our recruitment. Mm-hmm. they go out they call they we don't go out so much now and on the heels of covid but we do make phone calls mm-hmm. and they they talk to the individuals convince them to come they always say you know i've i've done this too i know all about this this is my experience i lost some weight they use all the all they, they talk to people in the in terms that they understand but their job is not just to recruit their job is to keep people coming back
1: well so but, so boots on the street Seen on the ground. And is meeting people, people where they are. And then you, you go to them. That's the key.
2: And we're so excited because typically we have a perfect attendance of 60 to 70%. Really? Because people are encouraged to come back. We also find that our peer educators become coaches too. Uh-huh. They, they receive calls at midnight sometimes. When Mm. people talk about their health, because again, people want to be connected. Yes, It's so important that we're connected. And when we do that, we provide an opportunity for folks to feel, I'm not in this by myself. That's that's so
1: important. So where do you have these circles? Where does it take place in the community?
2: Well, recently they've been virtual. Okay. We've done Zoom. We've done phone calls. People participate by Zoom, and by, by Zoom and by phone. But we've also, in the pre, we're presently planning another cycle of in-person sessions.
1: Uh-huh.
2: That will be, sometimes they'll take place at churches. Sometimes they'll take place at the center managed by the managed care organization that we're working with. Um, but they come there and we typically have six to eight sessions. Uh-huh. When it's virtual, it's every Saturday. Uh, when it's in person, it may be every other week. Uh, people and people come to uh, come together at a, a central location. And how many are in each of these sessions? They the numbers range from 25 to 35. Oh really? Yes, because we, we, we really want an opportunity for people to feel as though they can connect with each other. Large numbers just wouldn't do that. Right, um, and we're grateful that our sponsors are willing to allow us to work with that group of that size of a group because it really does establish a lot more uh, connection and uh, and relationships.
1: And you get you get traction with that. People feel like they belong, and and obviously all the DEI initiatives, you know, they've added a B DEIB diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. All right. And, All right. And these, and these groups have been marginalized and excluded for so long. You yeah. provide a safe space for them.
2: Safe space. We have some wonderful testimonies. We had a lady who said, "You know, I was I was even afraid. I didn't even want to feel like getting up in the morning. But now mm-hmm. that we have a chance to come together, and I can be a part of this group." Uh, I, I feel like I belong. I mean, we wow. we have certainly have those kind of testimonies. Uh, we have some of those on our featured on our website, actually, so that if anyone really wants to know what people are saying about this program, uh, that's one way to find out. And what is that website, Ruth? Tell uh, tell our listeners and viewers. www.shireink.org. And how long have you been
1: doing these wellness circles? S-
2: essentially, since twenty ten. Uh-huh. Uh, initially, we did the circles with the DC government for being a partner. Uh, subsequently, it's managed care organizations that have worked with us to bring their members in. And and one thing i meant to mention is very well. We haven't talked about the results yet. Yeah, we got to get to that. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I don't want to jump the gun here, That's but right. we are we are excited. And and by the way, we make sure that we don't do the testing. Uh, we have an independent. Our, our clients have independent. Organizations that come in and screen both before the sessions begin Mm -hmm. and then following the sessions, and they're looking for three, three or four things. They're looking, they're assessing the HbA1c levels, Mm -hmm. the uh, blood pressure levels, the BMI levels, and weight. Okay. And all four of those things are checked at the beginning and they're checked at the end. And and we don't, we don't do that testing. They're done by an independent agency. That's important. It's mm-hmm. very important because, we, and we also do some self-reporting uh, mm-hmm. that we, uh, we also have surveys of the members so we can get a sense of what they're doing differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a different kind of evaluation. But we're excited to, to report that there are st- statistical significant changes in uh, all, all of those categories. Tell us about, that. Tell
1: us about the results.
2: Well, I mean, what we've seen is that there have been changes with people. A typical example is someone with an HbA1c level of 9 or 10 mm. can bring it down to 6. Wow. And 6 is really almost at the point where you're, you're not even a diabetic anymore. Okay, well, okay. you get down to 5, then you're really in, in, in good territory. And that's fairly common. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen that, and we've also seen, and this is something that's, Managed care plans are particularly interested in fewer visits to emergency departments, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fewer hospitalizations mm-hmm. among the group that has participated in our wellness circles compared to those who have not. Fantastic! And, and the agencies do have those data as well, and and all of the, that information is on shireinc.org. People can. Well, read we 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 have to essentially we 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 have selected uh, data available because it is proprietary, it's proprietary in the sense that it belongs to the wellness plan, Understood. Um, but we can provide it. We can provide provide
1: it. How many sessions of the wellness circles do you have to attend to achieve those kind of results? I guess it depends on the person.
2: It depends on the person. Well, that's why we're so excited when we have perfect attendance, Uh because that means that they have attended every single session. Mm. And the best results come from those who have attended every single session.
1: Well, that's important. Consistency in terms of getting people involved and making those changes. And is it for men and women? Absolutely. In
2: fact, we're excited that some of our best results are coming from the brothers. Okay, very good. And why do you think that is? I I think the I think they're excited to know that they're included.
1: Okay, good.
2: <laughs> and we also make sure that we always have male presenters as part of the the group of doing the presenting. Um, Dr. Kofi Essel, for example, who's well-known and an extraordinary uh, mm-hmm. communicator of health and health messages, um, he always sets the stage for us. And then we also have men coming in to, with the uh, physical exercise portion Excellent. as well. Excellent. So, so the brothers do feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they are very much, and some of them have some of the best attendance result, results as well.
1: Well, that's very good to hear because very often men in general have the challenges in getting into the health system, but black men in particular, Mm -hmm. And, and by the way, all of the folks that are involved with the wellness circles are of African heritage, is that correct?
2: Actually, yes, yes. In our although we have had some persons who have been uh, uh, Latinos. Uh, okay. okay. Yes, we've had some Latinos uh, in some of the sessions, depending on which ward we're focusing on at that particular time. And we right now we we have focused on four of the wards uh, in the District of Columbia where the incidence of diabetes is highest, and you know the rates are most disproportionate.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, it's a challenging and very complicated disease, and it sounds like you've taken a very holistic approach and looking at the whole person, mind, body, and spirit, uh, which is so important in our community. And you do have a a nurse on your staff too, don't you, that has been lockstep with you. Tell the audience how old
2: she is. I have to tell this. Um, Our our (laughs) senior program associate is Ms. Guarneri Gerardo, who turned 93 on the 12th of November. Well, oh, there you go. There you go. And, and is still working with us and has worked with us uh, since 2006. Mm-hmm. Um, she has, uh, she pre- provides such gravitas because she, you know, she is a very, very distinguished lady. She is. Uh, she's is. she been a public health nurse for over 60 some years. Wow. And, and she recently received a special award, a Canary Savage Gerardo health equity award. Uh, 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 Diversity and Inclusion Award uh, given by the University of Wisconsin School of Nursing. Wow. Wow. You know, that's
1: one of the messages, uh, Ruth, I've tried to um, articulate in these kaleidoscope. There have been folks like you and, and uh, Nurse Gerardo who have been at this for decades. Yes. You've created these relationships. You sustain the relationships. You haven't given up. And that, I think that comes from your civil rights background. You don't give up.
2: No, I don't give up. <laughs> as, as you know, since I was in the movement at the age of 20 or something, you know, I'm pretty much, I'm not too far away from Canary myself. I know. I didn't
1: want you to deal it. I know You're an octogenarian,
2: right? I'm an octogenarian. <laughs> you, you put some of my young folks to shame, so uh, we have no excuse. Uh, it's, a, it's a blessing to be here and be able to do work that is meaningful and, and hopefully of, of service to our community. That's Amen. the whole thing.
1: Amen, and your late husband was in lockstep with you and had the pleasure and the privilege of working and dining and laughing and talking with with you and and Tony, Antoine Perot. Yes. But you know, we've got a few minutes left, Ruth, and because of your long-term commitment to health, from civil rights to healthcare being a civil right, what do you think about all this talk about health equity, eliminating disparities, where's it going? Where were we, and is it feasible?
2: Well, you know, I, I heard you say, uh, I think in one of the earlier po- podcasts, that you really believe that eliminating health disparities is a prerequisite for health equity. Yes. I, and I, I could not agree more because that's measurable. Mm-hmm. That's measurable. Health equity, unfortunately, is not. That's very uh, important. I like that. And, and the point is, we are really about results, not just effort. mm Not good intentions, but results. Mm -hmm. And that's why I am very concerned that we've kind of moved away from seeing the importance of eliminating health disparities as a primary goal. Amen. Because that would be the vehicle by which we could attain health equity. It's kind of like talking about health equity when you don't have an even playing field. There you go. So you can never really have health equity unless you have brought people to an even playing field. Wow. So I am concerned that it becomes almost the flavor of the month. Uh Okay. You know, uh, something that is important. You have an officer, a health equity officer. That's great, but the question is, what about engaging the community on the front lines Mm -hmm. to help define what health equity really is? Yes engage our communities to help us truly help eliminate health disparities invest not just engage and bring us to the table invest resources mm-hmm. to build the infrastructure necessary to reach the people that folks from the boardrooms can't reach
1: that's definitely true you and i've had this conversation and i've shared that with uh, close friends and colleagues as well that we've stopped talking about eliminating disparities. You remember Healthy People 2000 was to reduce, Healthy People 2010 was to eliminate, Healthy People 2020,
2: justice and equity. Wow, how did we jump over disparities and go to equity? Exactly the point, exactly. And I really do think it's a disservice when we decide that all of a sudden we can change the rhetoric without Mm -hmm. changing the reality.
1: Wow, love that quote. I mean, definitely. We've gotta have a different conversation, gotta have different folks at the table. It, it may be for some a heavy lift because this is not a comfortable space for everybody. You talk about race, and I heard one speaker say it's like touching the third rail on the yeah. train track. <laughs> indeed, <laughs> it, indeed, it, it brings up a lot of personal experiences. But we've got to get over ourselves. We've got to okay. be disruptive.
2: And if I have one other uh, statement to make Please. about yeah about the, the the dialogue around race, you know, we've talked so much about social determinants of health. Mm-hmm. I've never felt comfortable with the idea that de- something is a determinant. I think it's an influ- influencer. Mm. But what about talking about personal self-determinants? There you okay. go. Which is what our wellness circles attempt to do. We're really helping people understand, understand that they can determine their own destiny, yes. helping people understand they are empowered to make these changes, not mm-hmm. only in terms of their health, but also in terms of the systems that affect them negatively we ask people to go into their 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 healthcare uh, institutions as partners mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and advocates for themselves mm-hmm. uh, not subservient to the doctors but equal partners with them yes and that means they have to be well informed about their condition and be ready to talk about what they expect and what they expect in terms of respect so yes i i again i think our work really helps on a number of fronts to help that build that self-determination, but I think it also helps to bring people out of isolation, out of loneliness, and understanding that together we can do it better.
1: Amen. Well said. And you often use a quote by Malcolm X. you want to share that with the audience, Ruth?
2: Yes, I love that quote. He said, and I always was surprised that he did say it. He said, when I becomes we, and think about the letter I and the letter W-E, even illness can become wellness.
1: Love it, love it, love it, love it. So there are many of us on this road. It's the road less traveled, but it's a road that we've got to become a part of because the seismic demographic shifts are demanding a new way of doing things, new messages, new players, new people. And, and I do believe that Shire is an example for replication. What you're doing in DC, uh, can it be replicated in other similar cities across the country?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. We would love to be able to be advisors to someone who wants to pursue the development of a wellness circle because it's very transferable. It's not only transferable from a geographic point of view, it's also transferable in terms of other conditions. Yes. Maternal health, for example.
1: Oh, really prominent in the news of late, for sure, for sure.
2: Right. Asthma. I mean, we're focusing on diabetes and hypertension, but we can talk about all kinds of conditions where wellness circles could be very effective so yes we believe that uh, it has much replicational uh, capacity and we'd love to be able to be a part of that
1: well your team and your advisors definitely would be invaluable to any organization pharmaceutical companies biotech companies whatever the condition might be you have the formula and you actually have on your website a, a dossier that you wrote quite a few years ago about how to engage communities.
2: What's the name of that, Ruth? Is Building Coalitions Among Communities of Color, a multi Multicultural Approach. And what year was that written in? 2004, and believe it or not, it's just as viable. It will be, in 2024, equally effective, I think, because the principles involved are timeless. Exactly right. I have it. Mine is pretty much
1: dog eared by now. <laughs> I use it all the time. And it's so true in terms of the principles, in terms of the approach, the strategies. It's a very different way of looking at health and health care for communities of color. And it is an invaluable resource. So they can find it on your website, correct?
2: Yeah. Yeah. That one's on our website, along with some number of other reports we've done on data and health disparities and so on. So that's shireinc.org. Yeah www.shireinc.org.
1: Very good. Well, I'll end this episode with a question. And to all of those who are listening or or watching us, does your organization, your company have class, culturally and linguistically appropriate services and strategies? I know Ruth and I have class, but we want you to join (laughs) us. and take on the wellness circles as a model for replication specifically focused on type two diabetes. But as Ruth said, it can be applied to any condition that disproportionately affects people of color. On that note, thank you ever so much, Ruth, for your time, for your insight, for your stick to
2: in helping us all know the reality of what it's gonna take to strive for health equity. It's my honor and privilege. Thank you so much. And I love your kaleidoscope series. I love it. Thank you so much, Ruth. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks,
1: we look forward to seeing you again in our next episode, which we're going to talk about HIV AIDS. Is that pandemic over? And we're going to have a prominent HIV treater speak to our audience about that pandemic. As we have now experienced one horrific pandemic, find out, is it gone away? Saying goodbye, all of you from the Kaleidoscope. Uh
0: You've been tuning into The Kaleidoscope, healthcare in a diverse America from molecule to market with your host, Sheila Thorne. You can find more episodes on all the major platforms, including YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on our website, SheilaThorne.com. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, questions, and for sharing this show with others.